Hello, beloved Volts listeners. Today, I bring you something a little different. Okay, <laughs> a lot different. One of my goals in starting Volts was to get out from under any bosses who could tell me what not to do. They probably would have told me not to do today's podcast, but I have no bosses now, so I'm doing it. Long story short, I'm interviewing one of my favorite musicians. It's a little bit off our beaten path here at Volts, but since you're already here, you might as well listen. I think you will enjoy it. So, way back in 2002, I was newly married, newly a father, and fitfully employed at best, so I had a lot of time to listen to music. My wife had gotten me into alt-country and singer-songwriter music, so I picked up the debut album from a young singer-songwriter named Corey Brannon. It was called The Hell You Say. A couplet at the beginning of the second song, Crush, caught my ear. That time I mentioned I was moving, and you said you helped me move. Almost went out and bought some shit, so I need your help to it made me smile, and it stuck in my head. So I listened again, and again, and again, and I learned a lesson that I would learn repeatedly in years to come. The longer I spent with Corey Brannon's songs, the deeper they wormed their way into my consciousness. Over the next 20 years, Brannon released an album roughly every three to four years, and I bought them all. They were with me through all the phases of my life, through marriage, kids, finding my job, traveling. Every time he had faded a little bit from my mind, he would come out with a new album, and I would fall in love with his music all over again. You know how sometimes you come across an artist and you feel like you just get them? You get their sense of humor, their worldview, why they make the artistic choices they make. You get what they're going for and feel what they're trying to convey. It's like they're making their art just for you. That's how it's always been with me and Brandon, who is responsible for a startling percentage of my all-time favorite songs. Not only have I enjoyed his music, his career seems to have run oddly alongside mine. He never quite broke out and became MTV or radio famous. He's always cruised along beneath the surface. The kind of artists that other artists love with a relatively small but incredibly passionate fan base. Every one of those fans believes, as I do, that he ought to be ten times more famous than he is, though he seems temperamentally disinclined, if not incapable, of doing the kinds of things that make people famous. One of the great serendipities of my life was a spontaneous opportunity to go see Brandon play a small club in Denver when I happened to be there, back in the 2010s at some point. I'm sorry, I can't be more specific than that. The past is a blur. After the show, we got to talk a bit in his dressing room, and we've kept in periodic touch since. Now he has come out with a new album called When I Go, I Ghost. An 
It is an absolute banger. Already in my pantheon, so I am super excited to get the chance to chat with him about his career, life on the road, and how the new album came together. So, without any further gushing or ado, Corey Brandon, welcome to Volts. Thanks, man. Damn, dude. I don't, I don't know if I can still blush, but I'm, I'd am i be blushing <laughs> if I could. That's very kind. Yeah, I shouldn't take the headphones off of that part. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mean every word. So, I want to hear, just to begin with, about the young Corey Brandon. You, <laughs> you were born uh, two years after me, and we were both born in the South, born and raised in the South. So tell me about young Corey Brandon and and the part I'm always fascinated by, which is, you know, you graduate college and you're young and aimless. <laughs> yeah, I got to back up right there. <laughs> Maybe you graduated college. <laughs> so, sorry, you you went to a little college, let's say, and then somehow you get from there to a career. Tell me about that period. What young Corey Brandon? How did you get into this? Um, let's see. Well, I mean, I, I started playing guitar, you know, at like 13. And I was just like a little shredder, and <laughs> but I didn't write a song till I was almost like 24, 25 in between those years. And a lot of it had to do with just, you know, being, I mean, I know it's hard to believe, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of shy. I was a shy, you know, and I know, I know, cause I'm like insane on stage, but I found a way to use that nervousness and channel it a little bit and just call it my style, <laughs> you know, but mainly it's just me trying to survive. You know, I always was paranoid about my voice and stuff. And so when I started bartending after uh, college, I don't even know the timeline. Like you say, it's all kind of smeared, but I, I went to school here on and off, but I, I kind of got out of my shell bartending a little bit, I think. And then I started playing at coffee houses and doing covers of, you know, lemon heads and whatever, you know, I thought fit my vocal range and then failing miserably at a Joni Mitchell cover now and then. Yeah. And then uh, I just started writing, I, you know, I've said it before a bunch, but uh, I was sort of hearing John Prine's music for the first time was very formative mm. for me. It's the first time I I heard I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Like deceptively funny music, only using humor to disarm you to get the knife in. You know, he's my hero. And so, uh, but we have very different sensibilities. You know, he's very Midwestern. He's got that cornball hokey thing. You know, and <laughs> yeah. I have the twisted, you know, Southern Gothic, <laughs> you know, gallows humor. Struggled to read his knuckle tattoos beneath the ring and the scar. But the left said love, the right read true. She said, Lisa, you got a car. It's parked out back, pointed out of state. It's a recent acquisition, she probably ditched the planes. And it won't get me far enough to ever lose track. But yeah, it's plenty car enough for never coming back. They say it make you. But you heard John's Prime music and you thought, hey, I could do that. Because John Prine's music is like, he's an unbelievable writer, first and foremost. Like his lyrics are, are amazing. I think it was the singularity of it. You know, nobody writes those songs but him. Right. You know, and I, I've always been drawn to artists that are very, I mean, it's fine. It's one thing, you know, Dylan can write a song that, that feels like it's 100 years old. There's an art to that as well. But uh, when somebody writes a song that's like, oh, yeah, that wouldn't exist in the world without this person's skewed <laughs> point of view. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got, I got a skewed point of view. That's the, <laughs> let me babble on. <laughs> I got one of those. But, but yeah, that's sort of what happened. I, I wrote a song. And since I waited so long, you know, I, when I wrote one, I wrote like 40. It just, and so it just, I just kept going. And, uh, and yeah, I sort of made a small 
see career out of this. So you, you wrote songs and then you just knew people from around Memphis, like how to get a band together and recorded the songs, found a label. The label was local Memphis, just a, you know, a, almost a one man label really. Uh, and they just sort of came along and, uh, right at the beginning, you know, and I had this batch and I went in and did it. And, uh, yeah, I just knew, you know, Memphis is a small scene yeah. and, uh, and it was actually a thing going on at the time. There was a sort of a songwriter thing happening. Memphis has always been very, uh, shocking how much of a ghost town it is for music. It's just insane musicians, you know, but, um, none of what you would expect, you know, none of what Memphis is known for. Everything here is a, you know, is, is always addressing things in a backlash, you know, kind of way. <laughs> Um, and so the scene, there's no scene, you know, everything's splintered and, and, and very like, oh, you like that? Fuck you. I'm going to do this. Uh, and I still have that chip on my shoulder too, you know, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, it went pretty fast. And then we, you know, I, I lucked into like a insane publicist from LA that used to like, I don't know, like manage Ween and Sparkle Horse, but <laughs> she did all these things. She broke for better or worse. She broke Jack Johnson. She had some hands in those, that kind of world. And, you know, so I ended up getting like, you know, we played Letterman on that first record. Like I ended up yeah, getting insane yeah. pop press that would turn around later and bite me in the ass when people were like, oh, you know, looks, the kid had a shot and nothing came of it. I'm like, yeah, I had a <laughs> label out with no show dates. You know, there's nothing, no infrastructure, no nothing. It was just unbelievable pop press because she could piggyback it on, you know. Oh, you know, you want Moby for your next interview? We'll throw my little redneck. Yeah. <laughs> you know how that, that game works, you know, or how it used to work. Now it's. Uh, who knows what the hell's going on anymore? It reminds me of that uh, lyric of yours. Uh, I can't call it exactly to mine, but something like, soon as forever has begun, somebody's saying all is said and done. Yeah, as soon as, uh, <laughs> you, you call it just as good as I can. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have to play every line leading up to that line to remember <laughs> yeah, that line. Like, like the ABCs. Yeah, exactly. We knew we had it up, babe. We knew we were the ones. Forever barely starts. Suddenly someone saying all is said and done. So you're, you know, it's sort of a, a young layabout, college dropout, bartender guy playing, you know, stand-up mic shows. Do you record an album with a buddy? And then, boom, you're on Letterman. Yeah, it was absurd, yeah. Featured in uh, Rolling Stone. Yeah. And so I just wonder, like, during that sort of heady, <laughs> short but heady period, did you think, shit, like, I got this. Like, I'm headed for, for Springsteenville here. Like, I'm, <laughs> oh, God, you know, like I'm, no. I'm, on a, I'm on an upward trajectory now. No, no, no. Did you have those illusions? Not for a second, no. I knew, I mean, I knew it was inappropriate. Everyone that interviewed me knew it was weird. You know, I, I was green as shit. And I, I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy this. Even my heroes, you know, that came along at a time when, when things like that really did happen. When there was, you know money was being made hand over fist. And so people were, you know, signing outsider stuff, you know, when, when you have a Jackson Brown right. label, you can develop a Tom Waits, whether the first right. couple records do anything or not. You know, those days were gone. You know, I started when Napster started. I, you know, I, I right. you know, it's like, I already saw the score. And so, um, <laughs> now, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I hoped things would go well. You know, I even threw a little elbow grease into it. I went out to LA, but you know, it's not like I went out to LA and started schmoozing or nothing i've never done any of that and so you know for better or worse your second album you know contains songs that you wrote kind of in that same first rush as your first album oh absolutely yeah but it didn't come out until three years later mm -hmm. and then the album after that didn't come out till four years later and then mm -hmm. four years after that so so 
why does it take you so long <laughs> to put out albums? That second record came out with that same first label they had, you know, I was contractually obliged to give them a record and it just, you know, I was ready to go and it, one thing after another, you know, um, <laughs> just business crap, you know, just the, the, the bad side of it. But yeah, no, the songs are rare to go. I mean, you know, even now I'm just, I'm sitting on, I have all these songs and they just, you know, but I am only interested usually in the latest stuff I'm working on. But yeah, one of these days I'm going to have to give these bastards a yard to play in. <laughs> But yeah, it's just the business, you know, and it, the, between the second and third records, that was, I was without a label. Because the second album did not do well, right? No, none of them did well, you know I mean? You know, it, it depends. <laughs> it depends what you uh, call well. I do fine for, um, you know, an independent artist, you know, I, I have a circuit I can work and have a career. Well, I did, you know, things are really, really weird now. Things are weird. Now, all over. Yeah, it's weird out there. <laughs> and, and it's great in some places, but yeah, it's just some of my strongholds are like, what the hell? Um, but yeah, I've always just been a sort of a blue collar working musician. You know, I go and I, I do the circuits and I, I work a lot a year. And um, the records themselves are um, a luxury. You know, I enjoy making them, but it is a pain in my ass <laughs> to get it. Um, <laughs> You know, I got this third one f funded by uh, pretty much a patron saint, I, uh, and he uh, privately funded me to do it. And then I went and shopped it around. Bloodshot signed me. Um, but then, you know, there was a delay in putting it out. <laughs> it's always something, man. Right. But the, the three I had on Bloodshot, they were more, you know, I had it in my contract that I was like, I need a record every year and a half if I hand it to you. I need it to come out every year and a half. And so we did a record every two years when I was with Bloodshot. So that was... The best I could hope for. And I, you know, I would love to keep doing that. Um, we'll see what, uh, I'm on Blue Alon now. We'll see what they have in mind. Let's see how this goes. I had nothing when I walked in here. Pocket full of fire and a killer idea. Still had nothing when you walked in. Looking like an Elmo heroin and the air was wet. Clothes was too. I got the room. We got through We got through Yeah, we got through And then, you know, you got to sit on it forever. Like, I finished, this record was done, like, mixed and mastered in February. Oh, no kidding. And it just came out in October. Yeah, just in October. So, I mean, it's completely done. And I'm the kind of person that, you know, as soon as I go buy somebody Christmas presents in November, I'm like, hey, you want to know what I got you? <laughs> you know, I'm terrible at like sitting on like things that huh, I like, you know? Yeah. This, and this is a big album too. I want to get to this album later, but so your third, no fourth, I think fourth album was called, um, no hit wonder, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is, you know, which is, uh, I think, uh, uh, sort of ironic commentary on the sort of kind of life and kind of career you have. Yeah. I didn't know if that was going to be too clever by half, but I had written it. I, and I, but I honestly wrote it about a lot of my friends. I was playing uh, the Folk Alliance a lot. That was like an international folk festival that was here in Memphis for about seven years. Uh, started by the cat that did uh, South by Southwest. And when South by Southwest got insane, he <laughs> brought Folk Alliance here to Memphis. And so I got to meet all these artists that didn't even have the luxury of playing to the tens of tens of people that I get. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, mind blowing stuff. And so that's actually where that, that impetus of that song came from. But I, I knew there's no way I'm going to be able to play that and not have people interpret it like that. So I put my <laughs> list of grievances in there, too. <laughs> Years of living, blood to string. 
You know, it's been 20 years now. Um, looking back on it, is this the kind of career you wanted? You would choose like this sort of like not quite above the surface, but making a living career? Like, is that what you aspired to and always wanted? Because reading around about you uh, um, in advance of this, you know, every article going way back is full of like other artists and producers being like, God damn it. Why is this guy not famous? I got to make this guy famous. This guy should be with these songs are so good. Why aren't, why aren't they more famous? And, you know, there are things presumably you could do to, you know, try to bust into that world. You know, maybe like pick a consistent genre or you know, simpler, <laughs> simpler songs. Oh, Easier yeah, to yeah. sing along the first time you hear them. You know, all this kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. uh, do we, were you never tempted to do that stuff? Nah. Not really. I just, you know, I'm, I have natural limitations, you know, <laughs> uh, especially now, you know, my age and things like that. But, uh, I have, uh, you know, I have vocal limitations. It's not like I'm a, a Jason Isbell, you know, where you want him to just sit down and sing the phone book to you. <laughs> you know, I, I have a, a limited and specific vocal thing, but a lot of my favorite artists do, you know, they have these sort of idiosyncratic things. And, um, when I had kids right at first, which was how long ago? Uh, I have, my daughter will be 10 and my boy, oh, my daughter will be 11 and my boy will be nine. My brain's so off. They're eight and 10. Um, <laughs> uh, it was right after I'd recorded Mutt or whatever, but then I was on Bloodshot and this, that was the first record, the No Hit Wonder that I was making for them. And I think that might be the only time I've ever compromised and I didn't compromise the music at all, but I was like, oh, I'm on a, you know a roots punk, you know, that in-between thing mm -hmm. that Bloodshot does. And I'm like, oh, I'm on that kind of label. I was like, I'll give him one of those through the arches, you know. <laughs> I just picked songs that I, that fit together and made an album that I liked, you know. I didn't write any of the songs to be that. But I, as I went in to make it, I was like, ah, eh, I'll make it a little more cohesive sonically. I mean, it's still all over the damn place. Love that album, Mutt, by the way. Mutt, yeah, that's that's me making my kind of thing. And then when you know when Bloodshot couldn't do much with uh, No Hill Wonder, I was like, well, screw it, I'm going back to make the kind of records I like to make that are very, <laughs> very jarring and very um, no consideration whatsoever for the listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and especially you know, like uh, get back into this later, but especially these days when people hear music in the context of like three or four seconds on a streaming site, you know, music that requires concentration and repeat listens is not, let's say the, the commercial, uh, uh, big play. No. And I, you know, I, for me, and I, when I say I don't consider the listener, I don't underestimate the intelligence of the listener. And I also don't, uh, really give a shit if something's jarring sonically back and forth. 
you know, I'm not making like music to go behind a Frappuccino. You know, it's it's like, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's one-on-one music, you know, and, and I do, when I consider the listener, I consider when I write and I don't waste anyone's time. You know, I've never, I'll never take three minutes of your time and not take it somewhere different, you know, we'll start somewhere, we'll end up somewhere different. Even if it's a, you know, a dumb, fun punk song, it's going to, you know, you'll have fun for three minutes. It's, I, I'm not going to waste any of your time. Well, I want to I want to get into the songwriting in particular, but I got one more question about career, which is just kind of like, let me know if this is too personal. You don't want to talk about it. I'm just oh, curious. No, I don't, I'll talk about anything. It's so unusual for a musical artist to be at that sort of sub fame, but making a living level. You know, it didn't used to be all that rare, right? There used to be it used to be a lot more possible just to be a, a work a day working musician, but mm-hmm. these days. You know, everybody, uh, you've read all the articles, like you either are like one of the five to 10 megastars or you're scrabbling for pennies now. Like, Yeah, this. yeah. They all want to, they want to break the newest thing or they, are they, you know, cover their nut with uh, legacy artists that were <laughs> broke by the old machine and, the, you know. Yes, yeah, so you have a legacy artist do an album, a, a covers album, always reliable. Yeah. But you, um, you're doing it. Like you're doing that. I'm a working touring musician with a sort of you know built-in fan base no radio support no mtv support probably you know not big money label support but just working away at it touring and you've been doing it for so long and i know a lot of those musicians that you sort of sing about on no hit wonder a lot of your friends that you've seen over the years have i'm sure come in and out of the of the industry of the game yeah absolutely and you've made it work like and so i guess my question is is it viable? Like, are you in fact making a workable living doing this? Or do you see it as kind of like, I've gotten lucky so far and it's going to fall apart at any moment? Or does it seem Um, like there's still a life like that available? It's, you know, you just have to lower your standards. I I, uh, (laughs) I just, and you have to shift with it. I'm not making a career in hardly anyone's definition of a a career, you know? (laughs) Yeah, like I guess I'm wondering how you pay the bills, which is yeah. not something you have to answer. But I pay them as I tour, and I pay them ahead of time because it's feast or famine, you know. Right. Every every penny has to go forward. You can't be like, oh, I think I'm going to stop and get a new pair of jeans. Screw that. You got a pair of jeans. You got a good <laughs> pair of jeans. You know. No, I mean, you know, I obviously have like you know pedal problems and stuff. My whole thing is, you know, I do spend if I do have any excess stuff, it goes into music stuff that I think will keep me inspired when i'm when i'm bored with one aspect of music but i overdo it in that area sometimes i'm like i've got a keyboard in front of me and a drum machine and i don't probably need this analog synth but <laughs> love the synth on the new album though oh thanks yeah yeah i played some of that actually but uh yeah jared k was playing some good stuff on there i don't want to be too negative but when people ask me now um what to do i'm like anything else not this. Not this. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I tell people who ask about journalism. Run. It's just not sustainable. But I, the caveat is unless you can't help it, unless you're <laughs> compelled to do it. I have a compulsion. You know, my mother held me too much or not enough. I don't know. I, but that's, that's you know, I'm, I'm kind of a hermit when I'm off the road. But, my, you know, the stage time, I mean, nothing beats playing shit out of your head for folks that that they can use in their life and, you know, that means something to them. And you see, you know, there are all these stories that come back and, and, and you see people that where these songs have made their way into their lives 
and sometimes under their skin, you know, literally in tattoos and things like that, but like, you know, and, and, but in meaningful ways. And it's, um, and for me, you know, music has been there for me for that, you know, it's, it's what music has provided me as a listener. And so when my music is useful like that, it's, I mean, it's nothing beats that. Warm my last midnight, Mississippi star. Got a candy apple moon on the hood of my car. Never could have told me you'd have gone this far. I can't even tell you when the fuck we are. Must be off the radar, off the mouth, stretched out in the tall green grass. Only green gets the blue. And the writing itself for me is one of the only consistent joys I have in my life. <laughs> really? You, cause you know, a lot of people will say, you know, I love getting out and playing the songs, but like writing them is like pulling teeth or whatever. You enjoy the actual composition process. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And, and you know, it, it can be pulling teeth. Uh, when, when you get into the, I mean, if you pressure yourself, I see the thing is I don't, ever try to write you know like i never sit down with i'm gonna write this song you know i I have this great idea i have this piece of wisdom i'm going to share i don't fuck it i don't have any wisdom you know (laughs) i don't know a fucking thing you know and uh, i'm 47 years on this earth and my kids have no advice for me you know uh i'm just like i don't know maybe don't do that again but like but as as i'm writing i'll find things that are true and and i'll i'll um just sort of intuit my way into a thing. I noticed that, you know, the singer-songwriter uh, genre, it's such a dumb name for a genre. I, there's no... It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty weird. It's like an alien named it. <laughs> it's like, oh, they, they do these two things. <laughs> right. Yeah, like an accountant is like an adder, subtractor, <laughs> you know. Insofar as that's a genre, it's sort of known for your kind of like acoustic confessional uh, absolutely yeah you know sort of diary kind of uh writing and you don't do that like i this is something else i noticed as i was listening back uh thinking about this interview going back to the very beginning almost all your songs are from a character's point of view they're almost all a little bit fiction-esque that way and i could i i'm not even sure i could think i mean i'm sure there are obviously like bits and pieces of you in your characters as with any author but i can't really think of a single song that is straightforwardly sort of like the first person confessional kind of song i can't think of one you've done by that does it help you to write to be in a character's head absolutely yeah and i'm in i'm in all of them it's just for me i don't interest myself at all (laughs) i don't i don't think i have any special you know insights Maybe this is a Gen X thing, Corey, because like I see like millennial and Gen X writers who are constantly writing these kind of first person essays about my experience and my history and where I'm situated. And, and all I ever think is like, I'm such a fucking bore to myself. I cannot imagine writing about myself oh, yeah. for more than five minutes. I've got a line in a song that I've never used, but it's like, uh, I'm sick and to death of my own bullshit. Two guesses how I feel about <laughs> yours. You know, it's like, yeah. why would I want, you know? But I've, I have found that the closer to something that I'm feeling or the closer to the bone, I can get at it 
by fashioning it into, well, art, artifice. You know, if I, I can create a thing with it and, 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 and um, I can let my feelings, you know, you can sort of set a jewel in a facet as opposed to just being like, look at my sparkly ass pain. You know, you can, you can, <laughs> you can pick where, for me, a lot of things uh, are, you know, uh, everything's been said, you know, everything's been done. And so I don't have any knowledge, like I say, any particular pertinent knowledge, but everything can be approached from a different angle. And that if I have anything, it's just my collection of experiences and way I see things. Um, and so when you're writing in character, you can choose the setting. You can choose, you can choose the framework of it. And, and, and some, of the, some of the stuff is like just flat out. It is confessional, but I'm confessing through the characters, you know, or I'm confessing through a situation. And I, you know, again, you ask if there's anything that I could do to have a bigger career. I mean, yeah, that's one of them that obvious, you know, the mystique of the tortured song, the artist, you know, right. Like, oh, you're right inside this guy's life. And this thing that he's given you on stage is 100% him and real. And the thing is, the shit I'm giving you on stage is 100% me and real. It's just not a fucking diary. It's just, <laughs> you know, but so I, I am constantly trying to derail that mystique that people can use and you most certainly can use it to further your career you know <laughs> <laughs> yes yes well if you're coming from a character you know if you're hearing a character talk it's not immediate right it just takes a little listening it takes a little thinking it takes a little time to get who the character is and where they're coming from and like the, the significance of it. it just takes time and yeah. like time is something people don't <laughs> spend <laughs> a lot of with music anymore and i get it i get it you know but it's yeah it's just one-on-one -on -one music you know it's just not really you know you, it's I, i'm not really interested in music that you can describe in three words and 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 um you know there's all kind of stuff i like songs that are like that uh, sometimes sometimes i want to pop on louis louis but sometimes i need you know famous blue raincoat by leonard cohen or something you know i sometimes i need a story that, that that resonates with me. My name is Miguel Simone, a man who walked it alone. At least that's what it says on the stone under the sycamore. My mother was dead by the time I was born. In the black of my eyes, the gypsy nurse warned. She could already see my path torn between the sun and the moon And so I walked it, and I walked it straight Till I passed through so many gates That not even the blame and the hate of my father could follow So I have a theory, a kind of an elaborate theory about your songs If you'll indulge me for, Please. <laughs> for a second I've been thinking about this for years, so it's it's delightful to be able to to say it to you. So I find that with each of your new albums, I have the same experience, which is the first time I listen, I kind of bounce off at the surface a little bit, and I think, oh, like this is the one, like you know, this is the one where he's dropped off, like this, is, <laughs> you know, like this is <laughs> this is I'm not gonna love this like the others, you know, and then you know I listen again and again. And like all the little hooks catch me and pull me in. And then, you know, I'm on like listen number 10 thinking this album was carved out of the stone of eternity and could not possibly have been different, <laughs> a single note of it. And it's going to live forever. And how did I, how did I ever think there was a flaw in this album? And it's, it happens 
on every album, almost on like a very predictable cycle. And I've been thinking about why that is. And so I have this sort of elaborate metaphor. Oh, do tell. <laughs> yeah, this this will this will be fun for you. So it's it's architecture based. Like so okay. you, you you know, like your songs, you as as we've said, you stray all over genres. <laughs> every every album is you know, ten or eleven different genres, but they are sort of like instantly recognizable genres. So like, oh, this is like the soul horns, you know, rave up song. This is that kind of song. Or this is, you know, like there are kinds of songs that are very indelible and very instantly recognizable. Like like you'd recognize a style of house. Like, oh, that's a craftsman or that's a contemporary. Okay. But then you like go in the house and you notice like, oh, there's a really interesting quirky room in this house and then you like open the dresser and you're like oh like the inside of this dresser is super interesting quirky and, and you know and then you like flip down the mirror in the dresser and you're like oh the backside of this mirror is super interesting it's just like you, you know you get the gestalt immediately but the more time you spend the more you find these little customization it just seems like every square inch of the house is thought out is built on purpose. Like there is thought and purpose in every second of every song. And this, as we say, you know, this is different than, you know, you'll get like a, I don't know, try to think of a counter example, like a Ryan Adams who comes in and like has six beers and writes 37 songs and bangs them out. And it's just like, you know, I got like a verse structure and a chorus. I'm good. Let's do this. Let's bang this out, you know, and then I'll twiddle a little at the end. <laughs> just the, your songs are not like, oh, let's use the first take uh, energy type of thing. Like your songs strike me as like you have spent a lot of time on every detail. You have thought about every detail. And so consequently, like they just reward repeat listens. Like to this day, as much as I've listened to them, I still sort of will discover like a new little like vocal intonation or a little drum fill or just a little something that's idiosyncratic. And those are the things that attach me to a song. Like those are the things that make me love a song is like, you know, like the first time I heard this, I couldn't sing along because it sort of like bounced off my expectations. It didn't do quite exactly what it's supposed to do. But then the 10th time I listened is like, Oh, I know this quirky individual thing by heart now. And it's like wormed its way into my head. So my question is like, you strike me from the music as, you know, slightly, let's say obsessive. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It yeah. really seems like you have thought about every tiny chunk of every one of these songs. There's nothing in your music that ever sounds tossed off. Is that accurate? Like, do you spend a lot of time, you know, filling out the little details in every little room of, of the song? Uh, yes, I do. When it, when I write it, yes, the, the actual writing I do. And it's, and it's, yeah. When a reviewer first called one of my albums obsessive, and I was like, <laughs> I was asking my wife at the time, I was like, he said obsessive. What did you mean? And she's like, you're obviously fucking, you have OCD. I mean, you're, you're obsessive. When you, when you write, you, you know, you, you write 10 verses for you know, every verse that people hear, you know, it's like, oh yeah, well, that's just because I care. I give a shit. You know, I'm like, why, why wouldn't I do that? Yeah, that's what I love. Like, I love that you care, that you put time into it. You know, it's just, it feels like, you worked, you worked a lot to give me a lot to sink my teeth into and discover over time with patience. Well, thank you. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not all selfless. I got to stand on stage and sing these fucking things. You know? <laughs> it's like, a, it's got to come out of my mouth every night. But 
the contrary part of me and the perverse part of me is I, I am really a fan of lightning in the bottle stuff. So when I do go and make the records themselves, you know, I completely have it arranged in my head and all that stuff. And I, cause I have aspirations beyond just strumming a guitar, you know, I, I, I hear them fleshed out and things, but uh, I won't give the musicians the demos uh, ahead of time, maybe a day or two. And then uh, it's funny that you mentioned the one take. I mean, we I, honestly, I, there's hardly anything on my record that was ever more than three takes, but we do, we will arrange it on the floor on the fly, you know, and I'll be like, here's the, here's the way I hear it. And then I just surround myself with underprepared, over talented musicians. <laughs> and then I listen, I listen, you know, and, and so I, um, because there's just no way I'm going to have a better idea for the drums, like on this last record, than Eric Slick from Dr. Dog. I mean, like everything I threw at him, it just got better. And, and my buddy Robbie Crowell, who played all the bass, drums, and keys on Audios, I enjoy the give and take of music on the fly. And so th I have to have an element of, uh, um, something mercurial, even in my live shows, you know, I, 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 there are these pedals on the ground and some of them I step on, I don't even know how, what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the live shows are very different. The live shows are very much feel like, you know, raw, spontaneous. Yeah. I had to stay interested in it. And so the way I approached the recording in the studio, I tried to find some sort of corollary there with the potential for lightning in a bottle because yeah left to my own devices when i'm not on medication i will overthink <laughs> that shit until my you know hair falls out <laughs> when i'm down here in hell itself And so, I mean, that's why I didn't, uh, you know, for all these years, I never learned, you know, what a single knob in the studio did, because I knew I'd want to know what they all did. And that's what I did uh. over, <laughs> yeah, that's what I did over COVID. I taught myself how to record and mix and master at the house. And I spent 20 hour days doing it and, and learning it. And so when I do a thing, I do a thing. This is so, this is hilarious. I wish my, I guess my wife will hear this eventually, but like, this is so <laughs> me. There are there are very simple things that I've just never learned to do. And people say, oh, no, it's just simple and easy to do it. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. If I start, yep. I'm going to have to do it right. I'm not going to do it the simple way that's easy. I'm going to do it the 10-hour way. So, like, it's all or nothing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I might, you know, and that sort of schism in my personality is uh, it's productive. I find it's fruitful. And, you know, and again, like, even my songwriting, is balancing for the most part. It's balancing aspects of uh, my personality or my feelings, you know, or even, you know, uh, it's it's generative. Like uh, I had a line about, uh, you know, for the list, new record, there's a song called Pocket of God or whatever. And it's like, just being around her is like, I pick the pocket of God. And I'm like, well, that's some fucking Hallmark bullshit. <laughs> and so then to balance that, it turns into a, you know, fucking murder ballad. Right. She steals his drugs. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and so then that story, you know, starts balancing itself. I'm like, oh, okay, there's the axis where this thing balances is this is, uh, there's going to be some very sweet lines in this, like love song lines. And, you know, it's a murder ballad. And then, and then there's going to be some shocking other kind of stuff in it. I found out she had a partner. He's still around here somewhere. Now he's working for me. His was just big. 
personally. And so that that little pivot, and then you know you sort of see uh, it's. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned architecture because I mean I do things visually, but yes, the, I, structurally, there's a reason why structures stand up or fall. You know, I, the structures work, and I even when you mentioned that. Uh, the songs, you know, that I work in recognizable forms. Absolutely. I work in uh, a lot of times I like to use a cliche because it comes preloaded with expectation. Right. And so I don't have to, I can subvert the expectation much quicker if I can conjure the expectations immediately. And so you can start subverting right away instead of setting, making a setting. This is another area, Corey, not to lecture you <laughs> more about this, but like make a song that sounds familiar but then ends up subverting expectations. It's just not a recipe for, not not a standard recipe for commercial success. Let's, oh shit! Let's just no. Say. no, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> maybe I could have a late a, a late uh, act in life. You know, maybe somebody's going to let me start to record for Toy Story or some shit. But you know, every time I hear Randy Newman in one of those movies, I'm like, Have you guys heard his '70s subversive shit? You know, it's like, <laughs> man. Every time I listen to your albums, constantly I'm thinking like, Why have none of the TV like those people who pick music for TV shows, mm -hmm. like your albums are just chock full of songs that would be so good. If, you know, there's been on a few. Oh, have you? Yeah, I mean, just like things that I've never seen. I don't know. One of them was like, somebody's like, yeah, I saw you on that Kingdom show. I'm like, what was that? I'm like, <laughs> I, they're like, it's uh, like sort of uh, Sons of Anarchy, but MMA fighters. I'm like, well, you know, I haven't seen that one. Uh, <laughs> glad you like the music. Is that any kind of real money? It's like kind of one pop, mm. you know. But yeah, I mean, it's a little chunk. But no, not not what not what a normal human would consider real money. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we shop at Whole Foods that month instead of Kroger. <laughs> well, let's talk about um, th th this new album you hooked up with Jason Isbell, who plays a prominent part on two of what I think are the best two of the best songs on the album, although my favorite keeps drifting around as I listen more. But the two, um, you know, When in Rome and in Memphis and then Room 101, both of which heavily feature Jason Isbell. How, uh, and especially When in Rome, uh, When in Rome and in Memphis, him howling that chorus is just like so good. Such good, <laughs> such good use of Jason Isbell's voice. Like, like you were saying earlier about his voice. Like I listened to that chorus the first few times. I was like, who is that? And I was like, why does it sound so good? Why is it so compelling? And then I looked at the, you know, the, the notes. I was like, oh yeah, that's no wonder. So how did you hook up with uh, uh, him and how did it come about working with him? Well, Jason and I, we've been buddies for a long time. And I, I actually go way back with his wife, Amanda. I, she used to be in a band, Thrift Store Cowboys, uh, out of Lubbock, Texas. And I toured with them, you know, like right from the beginning. So I've known her a long time. I didn't meet Jason until he was post-truckers, like doing solo. I did some shows mm -hmm. with him when he's doing solo stuff. And then uh, we just became friends, um, like, because I was in Nashville when they were in Nashville. I had a kiddo, you know, they had a kiddo. And, uh, yeah, we just became close. And uh, he actually sang on uh, that No Hit Wonder record, too. And uh, But I've just always had my friends on the records from day one, you know. And mm -hmm. it's like there's nothing more singular than, a, than, a, than the human voice. And so when you have friends that are singers, 
It's like, yeah, I can put that on the record because nobody's walking into Guitar Center and buying that and putting it on their record. It's like that's, <laughs> you know, that's a, a document of, you know, signing the wall. You know, I was here. I was alive. And so it's like, you know, when you have friends that are talented, it's like I, I've always enjoyed having people on the record. And Jason was really kind and came in and uh, he actually is on uh, sings on three and plays on two on that record. That's him shredding on uh, when I leave here as well. Which was super fun. He brought in the red eye, you know, the guitar. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you say voices are singular, but there are a couple of solos on here that I, I also identified as, as Jason Isbell. Like he's oh, got yeah, you can hear a, it. As close as you can get to a signature kind of guitar sound, too. Like it, he does, yeah. He's responsible for those. And I've had, uh, it's funny that you mentioned it, because I've had Luther, you know, Dickinson on before. He's an old friend uh, from Mississippi and a uh, place for, you know, North Mississippi All-Stars and stuff. And his daughter could hear when uh, she was young, because uh, Luther's a slide player, she could hear. And if you could put on, you know, uh, Rakuter, or you could put on any slide player. But when Luther was playing on something, she'd be like, oh, that's dad. And you could <laughs> yeah. do it. It's like she could, it's a voice. The slide, you know, slide guitar is, is, a, is a singing sort of thing. So you have real... Uh, nuance to it but yeah um jason was great and that track actually brian fallon sings on that one too and he's um and he sang it before jason sang on it and so he he's laying back a little bit and in the choruses and uh, as soon as jason sang on it i called brian and i'm like we're fucked because <laughs> you know, jason jason just lays into it and and, and to mix him if you cut him back because his voice just sits in this wonderful frequency that cuts it's a rock and roll voice and um, if you cut him back and he's singing energetically, it, it feels off. The balance doesn't, you know, he ain't a backup singer. You know, it needs to be for like, um, you know, the band. When the band would sing harmonies, they yeah. would all just fucking go for it, you know. <laughs> and so uh, so I had to keep it up. And so I ended up taking my voice out of the answer part of that chorus so you could hear Brian underneath doing the thing. But Brian sings on O Charlene too, so he has a, he has a place where he <laughs> shines. I was thinking when, with Isabel back there singing, when in Rome, I was like, you just got to, all you can do is get out of the way. It was great, you know, and he uh, he sang on, uh, it was funny because he sang on uh, Look I Lost as well. And uh, that song was originally going to be Nathaniel Rateliff, who is a, a buddy that I knew from Night Sweats. And he, uh, I knew him pre-Night Sweats. We did a tour, nice guy. And uh, we've kept in touch and it just didn't work out timing wise. And Jason, uh, Jason heard that. And I was like, yeah, I got this song. Also, if you want to sing it, he just ended up hanging out. It was great. Uh, but I mentioned the Nathaniel thing. So the little Easter egg I've told a couple of people is if you listen to the end of Look, I Lost, there's a little Nathaniel Rateliff like run that Jason does is like, lost, <laughs> whatever. Oh. It's just like a little, he's like, he's like, I, I dropped a little Nathaniel in there for you. <laughs> If there's one thing I want you to take away from this interview is that you need to make an album of duets with Garrison Starr. Oh, God, I love her so much. She's so good. Who sings on Waterfront. Only three of the 11 songs on this album exceed four minutes. Like most of them are just over three. And this has largely been, I went back and looked at it, it's been largely been true of your, of your back catalog too, although some of the earlier albums were a little bit more. I didn't know what I was doing on the first record. Like if it was a song like uh, Wayward and Down, there was no reason yeah. to have a banjo break between every fucking verse. <laughs> that song could have been three and a half. I, yeah, I didn't. I just learn as I'm going. The funny thing is all these songs have a lot of ideas in them, a lot of 
parts. Yeah. Like I love songs with parts and these songs have a lot of parts and I finished listening to them. I'm like, Oh my God, I've been on a journey. And then I look up and it's like three minutes and 10 yeah, seconds. Yeah, There's an art to that. I really <laughs> like that. You know, I like that thing and the deceptively simple things. There's a lot of ideas stuffed in a short space. Yeah. But one of them that's less complex, sort of notably simple, is Waterfront. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's just kind of a... Straight as a damn arrow. Yeah, you don't, you don't do a, a lot with that. And it ends up serving the sentiment of the song so well. It's so sweet and simple. And it just like that, the, the last bit makes me tear up at the end. <laughs> yeah, that was 100% on purpose. Like we were doing it. And that's, again, you know, talking about working on the fly. That was a song, and I sometimes I would play it live, and it would be a driving sort of thing. And then, and then uh, Eric on the kit was like, "Yeah, we could do this sort of train beat." And he started just like, "No, I hate a train beat." You know, <laughs> <That's> the, you <laughs> know, the ubiquitous Americana thing. I'm like, I don't like that. Especially since you sing about a train in the song, it might be a little too on the nose. Exactly. And I hated to ask him because he's such a talented drummer. I'm like, man, can you fucking Bob Seger this thing? I'm like, can you against the wind? It? <laughs> so you pop that record on, and, and for the first fucking 20 seconds, that thing's against the wind. It's fucking straight as an arrow. Yeah, super simple strumming, and it really highlights the beauty of her voice, I think. Your voices go together so well. Your eyes were gray as the mountains in the distance. Yours were Yeah, Garrison can blend with the air conditioner. She's so good. But uh, <laughs> yeah, she she really crushed him. She's a sweetheart. And uh, she, you know, she was a Memphian originally, and we used to play together a lot. And uh, I used to play with, uh, with her, and I used to play with my friend Kim Richardson. So I, early, early on, I had like a pretty solid lesbian following. And I, <laughs> I, I went on my last, yeah. And I went on my last tour last year, and I had a, uh, some of my lesbian crew come out. And uh, where was I? Somewhere in the Northwest. And I was just like, Jesus, that's what I've been missing, my lesbian crowd. <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, I uh, I love Garrison. She's the fucking best. Yeah, I would love, I would love, love, love for you guys to do more together. So I was thinking, uh, you know, speaking of of keeping, forcing that to be simple, I was thinking back to when we uh, uh, talked in your dressing room a while back, I asked about the drum break in uh, Yesterday. This was from a song from a couple of albums ago. And there's a, there's a, you know, just for listeners benefit, there's a drum break in there that is just classic, like 80s radio, like a Phil Collins. I don't know what the, I don't know, I don't know what the right uh, exact analogy is, but it's just really dramatic, simple sort of drum break that really um, captures a very specific feeling. And I was asking you about it and you were, you were telling me how you were sort of talking to the drummer, like who is doing all these sort of you know, super fills, and you were like, no, no, dumber, dumber. <laughs> super dumb. I wondered in that same respect whether there was a little bit of that in When I'm Gone on this album because it's got a little bit of that sort of it's got a oh, little yeah. bit of like a like a 80s hard rock like 
white man's overbite, <laughs> air drums, <laughs> you know, whatever that vibe is, which I, I love. Like I grew yeah, up, that's my, that's rock. my whole vibe. I, we were trying to keep it out of cock rock territory. And I was trying it flirts, to, it flirts with it. It does totally flirt with it. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and the uh, aesthetic choice to try and drag it back into the seventies, the late seventies was the cowbell. I'm like, let's keep it in Nazareth <laughs> yeah. territory. Yeah. There's literal cowbell on it. I try to say with you know, now you're messing with the son of a bitch. You know, that kind of era. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is, uh, that's just fun to play. Yeah, like that main riff in that song would have just been ruined by additional frills or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the, this, the simplicity of that riff is, is its whole uh, beauty. And I wrote it, you know, as a, relatively as a blues form. Oh, really? You know, with, with weird chords in the verses. But yeah, the riff is essentially, a, you know, it's a... It's almost a blues riff, but uh, blues to me is sacrosanct and, and almost uh, scripture. So I just keep my cracker ass away from it. <laughs> so you just amped it up to be uh, 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 butt metal. <laughs> yeah, it just sort of turns, you know, these things turn into, and it's a, you know, it's a vicious little song. And that was some of the that was some of the stuff like that I worried about specifically on this one because my uh, my wife and I did get a divorce and um, it's not a divorce record you know but some of these songs are relationship based like the bickering couple in room one hundred one but that actually wasn't us I mean maybe I was having a bad day and I created some characters but you know she's not like that and you know like and I'm nobody's going to mistake me for the murdering drug dealer or her for the thieving <laughs> prostitute but then there are songs um you know some other ones that they can mistake it for and it's just you know you can look and some things that happened are in there emotionally but you know it's not it's not the story i did i mean the look i lost is obviously that one's dealing with it like i say you sing from these characters but lots of times your protagonist is an asshole you know what I mean? Like these are not sort of like hero sympathetic characters, like lots of songs. Like I, I think all the way back to uh, Crush mm -hmm. on that very first album, you realize over the course of those verses, like, yeah, he's obsessive. Oh, this guy's kind of an obsessive psycho. <laughs> like this is yeah. not a nice, you know what I mean? You're not supposed to sympathize with this guy. Like clearly this, there's, there's a element of sinister and that's true on a lot of your, a lot of your narrators. Yeah, yeah, that one particular because it's that sort of teenage thing, you know, that can that can cross over from you know sweet to possessive, you know, and, and so yeah, that I, I like I like putting that sort of dichotomy or balance in there. But yeah, you know, a lot of the characters are you know they have a you can't really fully trust all of them. But you know, I don't fully trust myself, so I don't you know who knows <laughs> where that line where I draw that line. I think about Batman too. I forget which mm -hmm. album that was on, but. Yeah, yeah, it's, and that's it's the same thing, like a, a kind of a boasting teenager, where you're like half like, yeah, you go, and then half of you is like, uh, this is like a seventeen year old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of using the the braggadocio, you know, sort of thing, and and to do something sweet, right? You know, like God's good eye. Soon everyone will know we were never cool. It'll be all over the entire middle school. Say, I'm a bad man. You can 
That appeals to me. And then, there, you know, there are aspects of it that, you know, that's like some of it's real. It's like, you know, it's like people like rough sex, you know, people like <laughs> right. people like characters in real life. They like they let aspects of themselves come out. And so, I, you know, I give a little free run reign to the, the demons sometimes. Well, I like it because these flawed people, when they do manage to be a little sweet, it hits a lot harder. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. It, 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 it's, it's more hard won. Setting that jewel. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you set that, that thing. You know, if, if you hit it from the right angle, it, you can really hit a new, new facet. I mean, like the, the, the Room 101 or whatever. They're just tearing each other up the whole song. They're fighting each other. You know, and it's like it has a double bridge in there, which I always love the double bridge on night moves. So I dropped a double bridge in that one. I love that. But it gets all the way down to all these things. I mean, he's just basically saying, he's like, I'm so fed up with this. I just honestly wouldn't fucking mind dying. You know, and that's, you know, I've got lots of, I've got lots of little fucking suicide notes in, in songs for years. But, but he's like, he's, I wouldn't mind dying. You know, if, what's the line? I wouldn't mind dying. Yeah. If I could leave. <laughs> yeah. The setup is if I could leave all of you behind, I wouldn't mind dying. Uh, yeah. I laughed out loud the first time I heard that, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. But then the payoff is, uh, but I got this feeling I'd take some of you with me. Yeah, and so come over here, kiss me. You know, let's have a happy new year. And that's again that line for me that that works because it's I take some of you with me. You know, it's like if I go, I, I'm afraid that it'll hurt you and you'll and you'll miss something. But also the line "I'll take some of you with me" is a fucking threat. Yeah, yes. There's a lot going on in those lines, and it's just bopping along with the little you know Tom Petty feel. And you know, I know, I know. This when you say I wouldn't mind dying, it's just like the kind of the most innocent voice. It takes like a heartbeat for me to go like, did he just say what I thought he said? Yeah, yeah. That shit's on purpose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> glad I love, you caught I it. Love that stuff. Could leave all of you behind. I wouldn't mind dying. I wouldn't mind, but I got this feeling, I'd take some of you with me, so come over here, kiss me, come on, come over here, let's have a happy new year. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, not to go back to gushing, but just like, that's, that's what I love is it rewards repeat listening, it just rewards yeah spending time with it you find those little shares and uh layers and, and shades uh you keep finding them and finding them and that to me is like those are the albums that stick with me i like that yeah and those are the kind that like what the fuck do you do with that on a streaming platform oh you fucked yeah it's, it's not it's not format you know where somebody's got their finger on the next button mm-hmm. uh, the whole time they're listening i just i just like who i want to believe that there's like a still an audience out there who's who will, who will spend the time? God, I sound old. I sound super old. Ah, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Right Get off my lawn, kids. I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, uh, talk to you about your lyrics. I love your lyrics. They all seem, you know, this is another thing where I was talking about how everything feels crafted. You just seem like you are absolutely hyper allergic to cliches you know listen to all six of your albums and i can't think of a single like baby baby <laughs> baby <laughs> well, i like to you, you. i use them occasionally i want to hug you you know these yeah. sort of like standard uh a b a b rhymes that kind of well, thing uh, like the chorus for like survivor blues is 
is riffing on a cliche, like, you know, that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It takes that cliche and says, well, yeah, but what doesn't kill you can also make you wish you fucking died. So you got to actually survive. Right, right, right. It's commentary on it, right? It's not, it's not, there's an ironic distance. Mm-hmm. And so I'll use that, you know, and I'll use cliche girl, boy meets girl in a bar quite a bit, those kind of scenarios. But, but yeah, I can't, I mean, why would I do that? You know, it'd be fucking embarrassing. Like if, if for me, I personally would be embarrassed by lyrics if they didn't have something, you have a reason to fucking be on paper. I mean, a lot of popular music just like really sounds like, the lyrics were the last. <laughs> they really oh, yeah. sound like they were yeah. a, an afterthought. You don't have to do that, you know. That's fine. You know, I fucking want to. I like Louis Louis. <laughs> you know, I and I like uh, I like dumb pop music too. You know, it's um, there's there's other uses for music, but the thing that I know how to do is 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 the thing I do. I just I don't I don't know how to do any of the other stuff. Have you ever you know have you ever had sort of literary pretensions? Because a lot of these songs, I mean. They're quite poetic. They're quite well written. I mean, they sort of like are are good as verse, even absent the music. Have you ever thought about writing other stuff? I have. Yeah, I, I'm just too fucking lazy. But I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and I do write poetry on, you know. And when I'm writing these things, they're it's it's free. I tend to write in meter, though I find, but uh, but it's free sort of um, poetry for the most part. Well, this is how I feel. Like when it rhymes, it's not by laziness or default. Oh no, I hate that. You chose to rhyme there on purpose for a reason. Like, you know Bane what I mean? of my existence is the force rhyme. Or, you know, somebody, <laughs> like, you know, that thing I just did where I inverted the syntax, that's another one. But uh, yeah, I can't stand that shit, man. And I, 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 don't get me wrong, I love a slant rhyme. I love a half rhyme if you're going for an effect. And when the ear sort of gets let down a little bit by the half rhyme, that, and, if you're, and if you're trying to let the, somebody down with a story, that's great. But it has to be chosen. One of my all-time favorite lines. I mean, originally when I was gonna <laughs> when I was gonna do this interview, I have this whole like document half full, basically of just couplets and verses from your songs that I love, <laughs> and I was just gonna like read them to you and tell you how much I love them. But I thought that would be sounds mortifying, <laughs> awkward for you and boring for the audience. But <laughs> but I love your lyrics. But one of my all-time favorite lines is, "We threw our two hearts high. The first half felt like flying." Yeah, that's I it. I feel like I just yeah. feel like a. There's an interesting, not quite rhyme there. There's an mm-hmm. interesting the way the meter in which it's delivered is interesting, and then also just like what a beautiful sentiment. We threw our two hearts high. The first half felt like flying. There's just so much contained in there. There's so much implied. Yeah. You like you can find so much character and backstory embedded in just those lines. Yeah, that's. I'm glad you got that. Yeah, the ing on flying is absolutely fucking there for a reason. If I didn't, if I wanted to still lift, <laughs> if I wanted it to be positive and optimistic, I would have rhymed it with a, uh, a straight rhyme. But the <laughs> the ing is the fucking falling, you know. Oh, the easy way we used to play when there was no such thing as yesterday. We threw our two hearts high. The one other light I wanted to mention is about um, Blacksburg. It's basically about a woman who drinks a lot because she's stuck in a crap job in a small town. And you say, if I can't feel good again, I'll be damned if I feel this pain I'm in. Which to me, again, is like capture something so exactly about the impetus to take drugs <laughs> oh yeah yeah and, and drink you know 
Yeah, the other one on that one is the, you know, the, and I have plenty, plenty of lines of empty, meaningless sex, but you know, that <laughs> the other little one in that, that I liked was, you know, it feels as empty as them inside of me, that kind of thing. You know, it's like that yes. sort of, I, that, that sort of, uh, distillation and, and, and it's, you know, it can be trite. Anytime you look at something and you're like, oh, well, that's too clever by half, you know, <laughs> but if it's clever or whatever and distilled down to its smallest form and it still resonates, it, you know, it, you can fucking hit it like a bell. And if, if it resonates something that's true and bigger, then I don't give a shit if it's trite. If I've, if I've distilled it to its smallest form, because I like to work in miniature uh, with the with a lot of the details, and then you know I can I can have my flourishes with the, as how big it gets or whatever. But <laughs> I like to I like to get down in there and fucking ring the bell. She said this endless night feels indescribably as empty as them inside of. If I can't feel good again I'll be damned if I feel this pain I'm in. Yeah, I love I love a, a little a little bit of words that packs a lot of implication, you know, packs a lot of meaning. Yeah, a lot of my favorite writers have always been like that. I mean, I I love Neruda, and I love now. Of course, Neruda loved his nouns too, but <laughs> but I I've always leaned towards like Yeats and William Stafford, and like even like uh, somebody that's you know deceptively congenial, like Frost. That shit's dark, man. <laughs> that fucking you know the spider, the, the fucking you know the miles to go for sleep. There's all this unrest and he's doing so much more than this pastoral thing that people know him for yeah a couple of his poems kind of sound sing-songy mm-hmm. and then you know again you look closer you're like wait a minute i've kept you too long i could uh uh go on like this all day long i don't go back out to tour for a week so i got a jack shit to do <laughs> <laughs> well i'll i'll spare our listeners who are, yeah. are here for inner energy policy <laughs> yeah yeah you guys get back on with your lives <laughs> but i do have a question and this drives me mad you're out on tour now. How in the world do you play these songs without a full band? Like these specific, these especially this this album especially just like benefits so much from these exotic instruments you bring in and the big arrangements and the big they're just big. And, you know, like when we talked last, you're like, you know, I'm a working musician. I can't afford to take 10 people on the road with me. It's just me and my rented Honda with my with my acoustic guitar in the trunk. Oh, I got a van now. I'm regretting that van. Uh, Thirsty-ass van. I know I'm on the wrong podcast to be talking about how I have a, I have a <laughs> guzzling-ass van. It's, uh, it kills me, but I can sleep in it sometimes. And this record, thank you. I'm glad you said that. But it's, this is the closest I've ever gotten to the sounds of my head. You know, and, and and fleshing them out on a record, but for me, that shit's a document for when I'm dead. You know, the the live stuff. What I like about a live show is it is the temporal aspect, and it happens in real time and it disappears. And so I will play them different all the time. And uh, now, I've kind of made a name, uh, a small <laughs> lowercase name for my live shows. You know, because they're whole, they're completely different. So no consideration to the record. <laughs> and you know, when I do the record, no consideration of the live show. So you do have solo versions of these songs you play like it's some of them i just have trouble envisioning it oh absolutely yeah i mean i've often i've often thought that if i won the lottery you know people muse a lot about what they do if they got a bunch of money and one of the things i would do is set you up with a residency and a full band somewhere 
and just come see you every week. Well, it's been recorded now. I've got it recorded on my phone and here. So I, I, when you win, I'm going to take you up with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I need to start buying lottery tickets. But yeah, you don't ever, you don't ever get the urge to really like just get like a, you know, get your three horns and your, you know, oh, God, your keyboard yeah. player and your, you, you know, get Jason Isbell up there on the electric with you and, and really rip these things in their full, full form. Yeah, I I would I'd love to do it, and I do. You know, if there's a, fe- a festival run or something like that, I, I can piece the thing together. I'll take out a band, but again, it's not a full band. It's a I'll do a three piece a lot of times because uh, I still like the the room to maneuver and change things up on the fly. Yeah, you, the more you add, the more you got to hit your fucking marks. <laughs> right. But yeah, I don't know. I enjoy playing with a band. I get I get carried away, and I hear the songs like that, but. They get to change more when I, it's just me. I don't have to, you know, I can stop on a dime. I can drop lyrics. I can drop the music down and up and down and just take it all over the place. And I sprayed our names across the bridge so the whole damn town would know. That bridge is gone, but some recall that what's his face heart so in so And so it goes. feel and that keeps me engaged and i figure if i'm not engaged or interested why the fuck should anybody else be finalish question like do you think about i mean i just turned 50 and you're you know which means i hate to tell you uh <laughs> you're 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 coming up on it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and, and when one uh hits 50 one becomes reflective uh, uh about the rest of one's life at least when one is me is your plan to run this in to do this until you fall dead on stage? Is that Absolutely. is that the plan? Absolutely. I mean, hopefully. And you think you like just like financially in terms of like not just financially, but in terms of just like you know you got some kids now, and I'm sure if your uh, body is anything like mine, it's not as easy <laughs> as it used to be to like drive your van around hours every night to a show to show like you don't see any anything that could stop you or anything that could slow you down oh yeah plenty of things could slow me down yeah i mean <laughs> i i, I kind of have sort of reset and got back in shape and stuff you know i let it go during the, the plague but uh oh, right. <laughs> yeah i try to keep it together for that very reason you know just so i can keep going um but yeah all kind of things get in the way but i, I you know i'll just do uh I'll just get somebody to drive me when I can't see anymore. <laughs> My eyes go. <laughs> I've seen Ramblin' Jack Elliott pull up to the Whitewater in Little Rock, play a show, and then roll off. You know, that's the dream. That's the dream. I've seen it. I've seen people do it right to the end. Yeah, who was it? Was it one of the John Lee Hooker or some famous blues guy? I feel like died recently and and had played a show like the night before or something like that. I was like, that's the way. There you go. Like. Short of just dying literally on stage, that's about as that's about as good as you can do it. If you're, I can't remember musician. who that was. I think I heard that too. Yeah, no, John John passed away. Peace, but yeah, yeah. I think one of the old the old guard. I mean, there's so few of the old guard left. You know. Yeah. 
but yeah, that's that's the idea. But again, you know, I have to I have to provide at least until I can bum money from my kids. But I, uh, you yeah. <laughs> know, or me if I win the lottery. Don't there you don't go. Yeah, me. yeah, y'all heard it. But yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> it yeah, it's it's weird, and it is and it is an eternal internal struggle, especially coming from you know Mississippi and all this you know and the Southern Irish thing, and you will provide and yeah, all these sort of things. It's like you know I've I've lost my mind over it. I've been on meds over it. I just don't know. Uh, I could go back hanging sheetrock again, but honestly, when you, you, <laughs> you iron it all out, I would be miserable, and it wouldn't be that much more money. And I probably wouldn't last. I wouldn't last five years doing that, yeah. you know. Uh, and I, I think I can last here. I want to stick around, see what shit my kids get into. Yeah. Also, you you strike me, uh, you know, as a as a, and I say this with great fondness and recognition, uh, somewhat kind of neurotic, uh, self-aware, you know, thinky person. And I find for that kind of person, activities that get you in that flow state, you know, that get you out of your head for once, which is what I'm assuming being on stage does for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's real mental health. That's real. You need that. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's a real thing. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, I, I, I probably why I try to write like that, you know, where I just try not to exist. (laughs) I, 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 you know, it's, it's great for me. Uh, I I mean, it's also why, you know, I've seen every fucking movie that exists, you know, that's out. It's like, I, I love to shut this fucking thing off (laughs) when I can. But yes. I don't want to shut it off like I did in my 20s with alcohol or anything right. self-destructive. I want it to still be there when I, you know, when I need it. And so, you know, and I've got, you know, I got to find a little cocktail of meds, you know, that sort of keeps me uh, between the ditches. <laughs> and, you know, and I've talked more openly recently about mental health and stuff that, you know, again, it's a very, very Southern, very Irish, you know, very just suck it up. Oh, oh, I'm familiar. My <laughs> don't friend. talk about that. Yeah, very yeah, familiar. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know the dynamic. <laughs> and so... um I've been trying to be more vocal about that because everybody's got it. So I free fall into a dream that feels like flying up and trying to find the damn horizon I ride the death spiral until just in time for death to fight So I, I've been trying to be more open about that as much as I, you know, I don't want to let anybody in too close, but, you know, it, 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 to the extent that it can maybe help someone, I want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Jason Isbell has been, um, I mean, maybe you two have talked about it too. He seems like he at some point made a conscious decision to model more vulnerability, I guess you'd say, or just more, you know, introspection because he's so of that, uh, mold, you know, like he's, he seems like a, like a thousand year old person out of the South, you know, like he's been around for a thousand years. So, you know, for him and people like that, him and you to talk about it, I, I do think it is helpful. And I'm, I'm glad you have, uh, you know, found, found some physical and, and, and mental health that you think is going to keep you at it because you know i don't i want to uh i want more albums <laughs> they're they're coming yeah I'm, I'm sticking around and it's mainly you know i thought i'd be checked out by now <laughs> but yeah you know with kids it's like oh yeah i'm gonna stick around this joint and see 
see what see what happens here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just gets better and better with them. Yeah, you get to re-see things, you know. It's like, oh, okay. I haven't, you know, I, I haven't seen the street out in front of my house. Yeah, today. exactly. I haven't so seen it's it today. a little bit like a, it's a little bit like weed when you first when you first try weed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your hand is fucking fascinating. Yeah, look at look at this leaf. You're right, little infant. This leaf is fascinating. You are not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right. Well, tell us, uh, tell us where to catch you on tour then. Oh yeah. Uh, let's see. The next leg is going down through uh, southeast. All the dates are at CoreyBrandon.com. Almost everything's there. I just like to find a hub. But yeah, I'm, I'm down. Next week's Mobile, Gainesville, Orlando, St. Petersburg, Jacksonville, then Decatur, Nashville, Chattanooga, Memphis, Oklahoma, yeah. Fayetteville, Arkansas, Oxford, Mississippi, Baton Rouge, Austin, Texas, New Braunfels, Texas, Fort Worth. And then I'm back home to turn 48. I'm not here in uh, no northwest uh, at the moment. West coast. Uh, <laughs> where's my Where's my west coast? Uh, yeah, looking like we're doing Midwest and then West Coast in the spring. I'm gonna wait. Sometimes I'll try to come out there in February and cheat winter a little bit. Um, but I'm I don't know where the hell we're doing in February. Honestly, I hardly ever look. When I'm on the road, I look ahead a week. <laughs> yeah, I can hardly look beyond a week. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I mean, thank you so much for for everything. Thank you so much for all the the music over the years and uh, in this new album, uh, which uh, listeners is called "When I Go, I Ghost." Uh, please go interact with it. However, kids interact with music these days. Maybe buy it. Try f- holograms. Find some way to give it money. Did I ever tell you? Oh, I have to tell you this. <laughs> We're way over time here, but I have to tell you this one story before I let you go. I was in the 2000s and 2010s. Uh, you know, these were big Napster days, big music piracy days. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, at the time, I listened to like 100 new albums a year. I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to buy 100 albums in a year. So I just pirated everything. And I remember I was at a show, I think it was in the Tractor Tavern in Seattle. God, I can't remember what year this I think it might, it maybe was like late 2000s, maybe not even into the 2010s. But I remember watching you play and I was just blitzed super super drunk by the end of it and of course I am you know whenever I get drunk I get super like I love you man like <laughs> I'm that kind of drunk oh you're also Irish so, yeah. so I was like fucking love Corey Brandon man I love this music and so you were you were milling around after the show and I remember <laughs> I remember coming up to you and trying to sh- basically shove cash in your hands, <laughs> saying like, man, I've stolen all this music from you over all the years, man, and I've loved it so much. I just feel like I owe you something, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, that happens sometimes. People still do that sometimes. The only difference is now I take it. Yeah, <laughs> I might have taken it then. Like, I don't remember. Uh, you, you were like, uh, no, no, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> you no, I'll take that shit now. Backed away slowly. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, thanks so much for everything and uh, and uh, good luck on the tour. I appreciate it, man. I'm a big fan of yours. So cheers, brother. Down on the corner of what I walk and what I tend to get Did drinking, dreaming of you I let the ashtray smoke my last cigarette Thank you for listening to the Volts Podcast. It is ad-free powered entirely by listeners like you. If you value conversations like this, please consider becoming a paid Volts subscriber at volts.wtf. Yes, that's volts.wtf 
so that I can continue doing this work. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. I've been down in it. I ain't free. We're no experiment. These seven years, they went like life out of me.